Let's look in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. And we, for the most part, for the last year, perhaps more, we are in the book of Matthew with a few breaks here and there. And we are coming to a section of Scripture um, where it's basically the last seven days before Jesus is crucified. And in this book here, Jesus says and teaches a lot in that last week before He's crucified. And today we're going to see a parable here in Matthew 22. We can call it God's call to the wedding. God's call to the wedding. In Matthew 22, and there's a particular theme, uh, a particular thing that is a theme here that we'll identify in just a moment. God's call to the wedding. So let's just read it. You can remain seated. Uh, I'll read out loud while you follow along. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. It says there, Matthew 22, verse 1. Let's get into what the Scripture says. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which, are, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is his last words there. So when I was younger, I remember um, playing a lot outside um, in, our, in front of our house. My parents still live on Val Vista and Southern area. And I remember playing outside quite a bit. Um, we played football. If we wanted to play in the grass, it was small areas because we all had small yards or we'd have to go half a mile to a school or a park. So instead, we played in the street. It wasn't tackle football, uh, but it was, I guess, the next best thing to end touch. We played a lot of football in the street. And uh, we did all kinds of things outside, played hide-and-go-seek, played football in the street, sometimes played wiffle ball, kind of like a plastic ball, baseball out front. And uh, I liked it. I liked playing outside. We played outside a lot, a lot with my friends. And um, Mom 
would take the time to make dinner, pretty much Monday through Friday, you know, on a consistent basis. And, and uh, you know, 6, 7 o'clock, whatever it was, she'd call me, Michael, time to come in for dinner, you know. And sometimes I couldn't, I didn't hear her. And I usually did want to come in. I didn't want to come in early. I wanted to come in at dinner time, and occasionally I was able to go out again. But uh, I liked going in at dinner time, and so she'd call me. If she, and, if, and if I didn't answer, she would pull out the old whistle. It's two fingers right here. Somehow she did something here with her lips. I don't know what it is in her tongue. And man, you didn't want to be standing next to her when she went whatever it is she did. She would blow this. Do this little thing and blow, you know, make a whistle sound from the door uh, way, or the front door of the house, the porch there, uh, or patio, and I'd be three houses down, and she'd go, and I'd be like, whoa, that's mom. She'd be like, come on in for dinner, you know? Man, she could whistle loud. Can you still do that, mom? Not so much, okay. <laughs> See, it was loud, and I, in fact, because I remember Sometimes if I'm standing by mom and she's whistling for my little brothers, I'm like, whoa, that's loud. That's like a piercing sound. And then I remember one of my brothers, uh, my younger brothers, would always try to copy that. He couldn't do it. He'd go, shh, shh, you know. He would do a regular whistle like, but he couldn't do that really hard, strong whistle of mom's. And so mom would go, and so my brother, would, my brother Cliff, he'd go, hey, Michael, rear it. That's what he would do, literally like that. He'd go, rear, rear, like, didn't cut it, Cliff, sorry. You know, he'd try to whistle to me like that and call me. Uh, and then there was one time, actually, this predates a little bit where their house is here. We used to live in East Mesa. I can't remember the streets, Broadway, Sossman, what was it, out there? And uh, I had a little home out there at the end of a long cul-de-sac. And um, Mom, but I remember there was a time she had this dinner but triangle thing is that a dinner bell thing she got one of those to call me in same thing i'd play out front out there i was six five six years old and uh she'd she'd have it she'd hold it up or maybe i was hanging out, and she'd take the little cast iron thing and there's this cast iron triangle deal that uh they would use on chuck wagons you know in the 1800s you know for cowboys and stuff you know and she would ding 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 and i'm like yeah some grub is cooking, and it's ready, you know, and I'd come running in. And I, I liked that. I thought, this is cool. It makes me feel like a cowboy, you know. <laughs> I kind of liked it when Mom did that. And, uh, and then she had it for a little while when we moved over here in the more developed, regular part of Mesa. <laughs> she still did the ding, 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 ding. I'm like, yes, just a few times. And uh, anyways, I liked hearing uh, Mom call, you know, call for dinner. And um, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a unique thing. So... Um, so here in this story, we're going to learn about the way God calls. The way my mom called me was a couple different ways, whistle, the, the little dinner bell, just lift up her voice. But what's important in this story is the way God calls. He calls a certain way out to people. He's calling them out, and he's calling them out also to a dinner. He's calling humanity to something. And so uh, in this passage here, the context previous to these, this chapter, you need to know that Jesus had been spending three years with his countrymen, focusing on teaching his disciples in particular, but he's been calling out to his countrymen to believe on him and to accept him and, uh, as the Savior. 
And the Jews, his countrymen, have been constantly rejecting his call out. They have been consistently rejecting him. So he gives here this parable that we just come upon, that we just read. He gives this parable to explain how God calls and the importance of the fact that God even calls out to humanity. So he gives a parable showing that God calls out. And the the particular picture, the parable is this. It's a parable of a wedding. We just read it. It's a parable of a wedding. God calls uh, to his near... Uh, to the, he was calling to the Jews, and then he calls to people who are non-Jews. He uses the example of a wedding. Now, look, most people, if you get an invitation to a wedding, you're going to go. You know? The ladies want to go because they're like, the, ah, you know, they look at the decoration, and they look at the dress, and the, all the stuff like that, flowers, and they like to you know, mingle. And when guys get a wedding invitation, they're like, what are they going to eat? Is it just going to be little finger foods, you know? What I'm going, I'll go. Are they going to have some good food, you know, guys? And most people are like, hey, I want to go to a wedding, you know. And besides the fact that it is, it is nice, it is joyous to see somebody uh, married, a, a couple married. So here's what we're going to do. There's five points here that Jesus goes through showing us how God calls, how God calls out to humanity. The the parable means parallel to something, all right? This wedding story is parallel to life. The the, the story of this wedding, the the, kind of the points of it are parallel. It's a parable to how God is in real life. This is what God is like. Here we go. Number one, we see the king calls people to a joyous event. Chapter 1, verse 2, pardon me, chapter 22 Verse 2, chapter 22, verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. So, all right, you haven't, this isn't just any person who's making a marriage. It's a king, a person with power, with riches, with authority, and he's got his son. He's going to have a wedding, and it's going to be good. It's not going to be cheap. He's going to have the best food. He's going to have the best decoration, the best music, the best everything. It's just going to be awesome this king's wedding. And this is a joyous event. A wedding is not a funeral. It's not bad to go to a funeral. It helps sober you up to things of life. A wedding is a joyous event. And he's interested, this king is interested in calling other people, come and join me when this joyous event, my son is getting joined to his wife. They're getting married. Come to this joyous event. Come, this will be, I have the best meat. I mean, you talk about the best cuts of beef. Right here, buddy. The best cuts of beef. The best, for those that like vegetables, the best vegetables, the best fruit, the best food, the best smells, the best drink, the best, um, like I said, music and deck. This is going to be the best. It's going to be a happy, joyous event. The king is interested in having people come and, and join him for it. And to see his son, look at my son. The king is interested in bringing this joyous event so that people would be, give attention to his son and say, boy, look at that guy. Look at that son. What a privilege he has. That's how God is. God is a king who's calling people to a joyous event to spotlight his son. The Bible says, 
Hold your place if you have, maybe your bulletin, you can hold your place in Matthew because we're going to probably take a peek at this twice. Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, it references really what I think is the ultimate fulfillment of this parable where we are told about something called the wedding uh, supper of the Lamb. And it says in Revelation 19, in uh, verse uh, 7, pardon me, let's look at verse 9. Revelation 19, verse 9, it says, And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage supper of the Lamb. So there is a supper, there is a time of celebration that God is going to have. This is speaking of a future event. And, um, and it describes some of it, that the blessing of people who get called to another marriage, supper of the Lamb of God's Son in heaven, it's a blessed time. God wants people to be at His wedding for His Son. God wants people to um, trust His Son as their Savior and be there at that wedding, that time where, he's, where there's a celebration of His of his union with that group of people who are called his bride, those are his believers, where he's joined with them. God calls people to a pleasant future with him. We'll look back in Matthew now. You can hold your place if you want in, in Revelation because I might read it again. But back in Matthew, uh, we see the king. He invites people, come to this wedding that I've prepared. God, this is the parallel, God says to people through the gospel message, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll have eternal life. You know, God is calling people to believe on Jesus so that they can have eternal life, so they can have a joyous um, uh, blessing of living forever, life forever, not death forever, life with Him. God is interested in people having a pleasant future with Him in heaven. Number two, so we see this king calls people to a joyous event like God does. Number two, we see this king uh, patiently calls. He calls patiently. Now notice this. This is incredible. Verses um, 3 to 6. Look what happens here. He sent forth his servants, verse 3 says, to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Now, wait a minute. I guess we already have people who already have the invitation out. Anybody, any of you ladies saved your wedding invitation that you had for your wedding? All right. few. Did we save ours? Oh, yeah. I know we had the program, too. So, you know, um, some of you receive a, a wedding invitation. Maybe you're given usually like three months, maybe, a, you know, a people as much as a year or the save the date thing, you know. You get a wedding invitation. Oh, look at that. And, ooh, I'm part of a special group. I get invited to this wedding, you know. <clears throat> you know, not everybody invites everybody to their wedding. Most people invite, invite a small group of people, even if it's, I mean, it's limited, a limited group of people to a wedding, okay? That's what you do. The Lord had, the king here, had already sent out invitations to people. They were bidden i let you know, you need to come to this occasion. We're going to celebrate with my son. We're going to be happy, and you're going to join me in this. He had already sent out the invitation. They made the preparation. They killed the fatted calf and all the other things, made the spread and did the decorations, got the musicians ready. And he goes, all right, servants, go out and tell them it's time to come. The servants go to the ones who had already got the heads up, already been notified, already know the inside on this thing. The servants go out and say, hey, guys, it's time to come. Hey, guys, it's time to come. Hey, guys, it's time to come. They invited the whatever amount, say 100 people, I don't know. 
And uh, they invited him. And these men say, no. Verse 3, it says, they would not come. No. Okay. How many of us will not, if somebody, you know, I, I remember as a kid, a few people, I had some friends, there's a few friends I spend the night at their house. Most of the time, the mom cooked pretty good. But there's a few houses I'm like, you know what? If you invite me over for dinner, I'll just pass. You know, there's a few like that. This is not the case. This is the king's table. And he's inviting people, and they're like, nah, nah. It wasn't like they were surprised. It wasn't like, oh, there's a wedding? Oh, hold on. Even if, it, even if the king did do something spontaneous like that, they should still just get right to it. But they give him the heads up. It's a king! And they go, nah, I'm not coming. So the king, this is the point on this point. King's patient. Okay. We sent you out invitations. We told you ahead of time. We got this nice spread. It's my son. Let's try again. He says, verse 4, again, verse 4, he sent forth other servants, saying, tell them which are bidden, behold. You know, show the menu here. I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. So he says, okay, send them out again. They go, they say, listen, the food is ready. They, can't, they got the beef there. It's the spread. You got the top sirloin filet mignon, the ribeye, the whatever else. I mean, they got the whole deal. And, and everything's ready. You're not going to show up and be like, oh, hold on, and everybody's busy trying. No, it's all ready. That's what the king said to tell the servants to, tell, to say. So the servants said, hey, guys, come on. So this is very gracious. This king, very patient. And they still go, nah. In fact, look at the few responses. It gets worse by, the, by them. It says, they, verse 5, they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm and another to his merchandise. Whoa, wait, are you, are you serious? A king invites people to his wedding and they go, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, whatever. His son's getting married. They made light of it. One guy says, I got to go. I got a farm to go work. A farm? One guy says, um, I got some business deals I got to finish wrapping up here. I'm going to my merchandise. Wow. And then it gets worse. Look at the next verse. Verse 6. And the remnant, the rest of them, the rest of the invitees, took his servants and treated them spitefully and slew them. Okay, this is bad. So the graciousness of the king, inviting them, giving them a heads up. They don't come. He invites them again, says it's all ready, and they blow them off. The rest of them get worse. They take his servants, and they beat them up, and they kill his servants. You're killing the king's servants. Okay, this is a declaration of war. But the king is patient. We're going to get to the war part in a minute. But first, this, we need to stop on this thought. The king is patient. See, he has this inner circle that he notified early on. He gave him that next in-person invitation, then that second time in-person invitation. And they spurn him. They reject him. Now this, let me just, there's two applications to this little view, this little incident right here. The first thing this relates to is Jews of Jesus' day. They did that to Jesus. They did that to God 
the God that they serve. You see, God had chosen a people unto himself. He had a special inner circle because he wanted to. Picked out Abraham. From Abraham said Isaac. From Isaac did the 12. Um, I mean, uh, Jacob. Jacob's 12. He narrowed it down and said, this is my group. I'm going to make a covenant with them. And he gave them the, in, the inside scoop. Hey, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have a kingdom one day. We're going to have a kingdom, guys. Daniel's got a little prophecy for you. He gives you the timing of some of this stuff. Um, my servant's going to come. My son is going to come. He's going to be your Messiah. He gave them the inside on this. He, he gave he, this nation he chose out, this group of this smaller circle of people. He, 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 had, he gave them that. He sent messengers, prophets, teaching them and preaching to them, telling them to come back to God and to trust God. He sent John the Baptist in Jesus' day saying, hey, the, 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 the bridegroom is here. John the Baptist told his countrymen, this is it, the Lamb of God, people. And some people get baptized, but a lot of the, most of, by and large, the majority of the Jews said, nah. And so Jesus spent three years showing some things that were convincing proof that he was the bridegroom, he was the son that their king had been calling them to come look and see and believe on. And they said, no, they said, no. They were given the inside. They were given early invitations. They were given scriptures that show them he's coming. They said, no. In fact, there was times, backing up a little bit, they killed some of the prophets pre the time of Christ. And during the time of Christ, they killed John the Baptist. They didn't want John the Baptist. They're about to kill Jesus. They said, no, no, no. They made light of it. They would make fun of John, or they made fun of Jesus Christ also himself, being a prophet, of course. So the Jews are these ungrateful invitees of this story that God's being patient with. He's patient. God has been long-suffering with his people, the Jews, and he's going to resume his dealings with his people, the Jews, one day. They're not done. And, and um, so also God is patient. Jewish stuff aside, God is still patient. This king in this story is still patient with other people out there whom he is calling throughout the world to repent. Repent of your self-trust. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, my son. And people that, make, people that spurn God, reject God, reject God's servants, God's still patient with them. In fact, the scripture says the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's not anxious for them to just die, but that all should come to repentance. In fact, Romans 2 says, You or despisest thou the goodness and forbearance of God, not knowing that the long-suffering of God and goodness of God leads thee to repentance. Because God's long-suffering with people, it gives them a chance to change their mind and repent, believe on Him. The Bible says that uh, a pastor is supposed to preach the word and reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He's supposed to do it with some long-suffering, like God does. Being patient with people, long patient with people. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, it says in 2 Peter 3, uh, chapter 3, it says. So God is still patient, just like this king was patient with that inner circle. So also the Lord was patient with Jews, and He's still patient with people. Maybe there's somebody in here, you've heard the gospel, you've heard the gospel, and you're saying, nah, you're blowing God off. You're showing up at church still, blowing God off. He's patient with you, but His patience will come to a close. 
But God calls patiently, just like this king. Number three, we see that rejecting the king calls, pardon me, rejecting the king's call proves to be detrimental, consequential. So these, okay, what does it say? Uh, verse 6, the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Verse 7, wow, no, notice this. When the king heard thereof, my servants are being mistreated. They're being made fun of. They're dying. They're being killed. He was wroth, verse 7. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt and burned up their city. Wow, this king, he was patient. He's gracious inviting them in the first place. He's gracious and patient in appealing to them. They kill his servants. And so there's a consequence. He's going to do something in time. So he goes to wherever these men are. He kills them, burns up their city. A reply, a just reply, a reasonable reply to such action. You know, with the Lord, um, uh, he did a type of destruction on Israel. Did you realize this in AD 70? In the 30, whatever the, the, the... 33, 30, whatever it was when Jesus died. It's not exact, the zero to the 30s and all that. They'll say around AD 33 when Jesus died. That was basically, a, it was a plan of God, but it also was marked with, uh, by the rejection of Jews. By AD 70, the Jerusalem was destroyed. It's going to come back. It is coming back, modern, Israel, modern Jerusalem. But it was destroyed, and Jesus prophesied it would be. Daniel said something about it. Jesus said something about it, Matthew, in this book. God was long-suffering, but then he, he says, this is a consequence for you rejecting my son. There are consequences for people rejecting the call of God when God says, repent, change your mind, change your heart, believe me, believe on me, trust me as your Savior. Believe my son, and people will go, nah, 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 nah. God will be patient. God will be long-suffering. But there'll come a time when utter destruction will come upon you, and it may not be in the form of your lifestyle. It may be when you literally, your last heart beats, and you go to meet your maker, and you find out that your destiny is hell. The rich man who rejected the Lord when he died, see, he lived a healthy, wealthy life. But when he died, he's in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments because he was a God-rejecter. This king um, is, shows that the Lord has a consequence for those that are Christ-rejectors. The Bible says, this is amazing. We don't think of the Lord Jesus Christ like this. When he came the first time, he's likened to a lamb. When he comes the second time, he's likened to a lion. Second Thessalonians, I'll read it. It says, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 to 8, 8, 9, and to, you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints. What? It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, when He comes, those who said, eh, to the gospel, no to the gospel, no to the gospel. Okay, in flaming fire, 
punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Verse, oh, verse 8, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Wow. People are like, oh, you're just one of these hellfire preachers. Whatever the Bible says is what we're going to say. You could, I mean, do you want an honest per, look? You want an honest person, or not? You know, the question is, do you believe the Bible? If you believe the Bible, then you have to be honest with every every word of it, and fire is part of the words. Well, the point here, back at the text, is that the king invited people. He, he has this wedding. Um, he invites these men to it. They say no. He's patient with them. Finally, all right, destroys them. It's a parallel to God who has a time when he finally says, okay, you're going to get the consequence of your own rejection of me. God's call, rejecting God's call is consequential. Number four, the king opens his invitation. He opens his call to all sorts. I love this. Go back and if you're already in Matthew 22, Look what it says there. Verse 8, he, he changes his attention on his invitees now because he destroyed a bunch of them. Then saith he to his servants, verse 8, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not ready. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So the, so the, so the king had destroyed all these privileged early invitees, destroyed them, and he goes to says, this wedding is ready. Look at all this preparation. This is a wonderful thing. These guys were not worthy. He tells the servants, just go everywhere and indiscriminately invite people. Good, bad, you think they're good? I don't care. Indiscriminately invite them to my wedding. It's ready to go. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God does. Yes, God worked with his circle of the Jews and his covenant, and he's going to revisit that covenant. But he's especially now with the gospel saying, to every creature, he says. I want every creature, red, yellow, black, and white, stinky, smelly, good, not, nice smelling, any language, any culture, any tasting food, any location, cold, hot, tropical, every creature, go invite all of them, he says. This like this king says, hey, servants, go, just go everywhere. So what, is the, what do the servants do? It says that um, they, verse 10, those servants went into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. That's amazing. So the servants are like, all right, we got this guy. This guy's really weird looking, but come on. All right, and we got this lady right here. She's got her eyes are not looking straight at me, but come on, let's go over here. All right, and then here we got over here, that guy, okay, we'll take you, come on. And then we got, I don't know what that guy's saying, but come on over here. And uh, we got, and he's just in, all over. Good, that guy looks pretty good. Come on over here. That guy's not kind of bad, but we'll take you anyways, come on. And he, they start inviting people to the wedding, and the wedding, people come, and they come through, and they get into the wedding, and the wedding it's furnished with guests, and they're all there. And the king's like, yes, they've accepted my invitation. They've accepted my call. And that's what the Lord's looking for. Um, people are watching on Facebook Live. You're here today. God's call, the primary, the, the personal way to say God's call is this. 
Listen, you have sinned, and your sin has a consequence. It's hell. But my son here has paid your penalty for you. He died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. If you put your faith in him, you put your faith, I invite you to put your faith in Him. Trust Him as your Savior, and you'll have eternal life. You'll have this wonderful joy with me, just like being with me at a wedding. That's basically God's call to people, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be saved. Thou shalt be saved. And so the king here wants to call everybody. So does God. He wants to call out to everyone. The fact the Bible talks about in Revelation 5.9, This vision in heaven, you see these 24 elders in heaven, I believe now that I studied a little more that it represents the church. And the the, the 24 elders, when they praised God, you know what they said? You've redeemed us from every tongue, tribe, and nation. These 24 represented all kinds of colors and languages and families. God's got a sample of every kind of person, so don't think that one nation, color, language is more prominent. He's got a sample of all of them in heaven, redeemed part of the church. That's how that king was. Let's just get them all. And that's how the Lord is. Let's just go after all sorts of people and see them believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is a very, this last point is very important here. The king invites all sorts. They're coming. They're finished with guests. But then there's this particular focus that we're going to have to make sure we get. We're going to see the king requires the guests to put on a garment. A particular garment. So notice verse 11. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. So the king's excited. They said, the servant said, King, we got the wedding is furnished with guests. It's got a bunch of guests. Great. He comes in. Look at all these people. Wow. Yes, they're all there. Now, wait a minute. But this guy's not wearing a garment. Now, it's not saying the guy came in, he was naked. Here's what it is. When people came to a wedding... Didn't matter how you come, come as you are. But what we're going to do is give you this garment. It was probably white, especially if you had a king here who's got this fine linen. He could, we, we can easily buy white garments around here in the modern time, but to have a nice, fine linen, white, clean garment in this day costs some money. He had a garment. You put on this fine linen to come in, they'd wear it. Yes. They'd sit down, they'd enjoy, they'd eat, they'd whatever, they'd enjoy it. People, so all kinds of people were interested in the wedding. I'm interested in the wedding. Okay, fine, put on the garment. All right, put on the garment. So that by the time everybody got, everybody was nice. The, 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 the nice look of everybody that was there goes to the credit of the king who provided that beautiful clothing. But apparently when the king comes over, he says, look at all my guests. Wait a second, what's up with this guy? There was a guy there who didn't have his garment on. And he says, look what it says. This is the, the, the thing here. He says, uh, verse 12, he, he saith unto him, friend, that's kind, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now watch this. He goes up to this guy and says, well, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? You know what the answer is? He refused it. He came in, he's like, he likes weddings, he likes food, he likes the nice music, maybe want to check out some of the girls or whatever. I mean, he like, yeah, I want to go. A garment? Get out of here. I'm not going to wear your garment. Get it. Move out of the way. I'm going to sit down here, right here. I'm going to come as I want. Come into this on my own terms. 
sits down. He refused the person at the door that had the garment offered to him. Everybody else had it. He sits down there. He's there on his own. He wants the benefits. He wants the blessings. But he's going to come there on his terms at his cost. And the king says, how did you do that? And he, the reason he was speechless, because it's an offense to say how he did it. He would have to say, I told them no. That's what happened. So it says there, the king said, bind this guy hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What he's saying is, it's not like the guy, it's not like the guy said, oh, I didn't know. He knew. He knew. He refused. He says, you know, take this knucklehead, throw him out. Get out of there. It's not fun out there. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Get him out of here. He's a rebel. He wants the blessings and the benefits of the king. He wants the fun, the joy. But he doesn't want to submit to the humility of putting on this garment like everybody else, identifying with them, identifying with the benefits of being under that king. No, I'm not going to identify with that. You know, God is this king, and there's some people who are that man right there. They show up in church, and it's not about this stuff. There's this religious attitude of, I'm going to come to God how I want. I'm going to go to heaven one day. Yeah, I love heaven. Sounds great. There's a marriage supper of them. Yeah, I want to be there. There's a, a one live forever. Yeah, I love to, do, love to do that. You know when somebody says, you say, do you want to go to heaven when you die? A lot of people say, sure. Yeah, well, there's a cost to it. It's a, it's a humbling cost. It's a cost of identifying yourself with somebody who's provided something pure for you that you couldn't provide for yourself. This picture is God here who provides, he provides salvation to those who, who want to come to him. He provides covering to those who want to come to him. He provides purity for those who want to come and be forever in that joy with him. He provides the garment. He provides the clothing. The clothing is Jesus. This garment is Jesus Christ. And the essence of becoming a Christian is saying, God, I'm naked. I have no righteousness. I think I do, but to you it's nothing. And I'm naked. I'm shameful. If you were to examine my life in and out, my inner thoughts, my actions that some people might see, some people don't see, I am a bad sinner. I'm naked. You're going to have to cover me up here. And exactly Jesus, what he does on the cross, uh, he takes your nakedness and your sin and, and cru is crucified for it. And he takes all his righteousness and clothes you with it, and you get his garment. So that if you were to say, Jesus, I understand you're the Savior. You're the one who died and rose from my dead for my sins. Believe, be my Savior. When you say something like that, that act of faith is him clothing. You're being clothed with Jesus. In God's eyes, you're clothed with Jesus. You have that garment. And what you've done is you've basically admitted to God, I'm not sufficient of myself. I accept your terms. I choose to identify with you. And God clothes you with him. Some people, they want to, they think this, this is how some people are. When I die, yeah, I'm going to get to heaven. Me and God are going to talk things out. And they just want to come to God and negotiate to God. On that. No, God's, God's terms are repent and believe on the Son. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So this guy didn't do it, and he got thrown out. And there's some people who, in church, they have not truly accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have not humbled themselves and identified like most guests who had passed through that threshold would basically say, okay, I guess I'm, this isn't good enough. 
You know, maybe they did have, maybe some people, good and bad, were invited. Maybe there's some good, man, this looks good, doesn't it? What's wrong with this? So you need to put this wedding garment on. Okay, I'll do that. And they identify with that king. And, and they, they, when they put that garment on, they're saying, what I am isn't good enough. When they put that garment on, they say, I'm going to identify with the, what this king does for me, not what I can do for him. And so believing on Jesus Christ, Jesus be my savior, that's saying, I'm not good enough, I need you. That's saying, I'm trusting what you've provided for me, not what I can give to you, because I give nothing to you. These guests give nothing to the, to the king, nothing. They only accept a covering that pleases him. God's pleased with faith in him. That's what pleases him. And so God's call, the king requires guests to put on a... He's calling... Now watch this, the last phrase here, verse 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. It is not enough to be called. I've heard the gospel. I know a lot of things about church. I've been in a Baptist church for all my life. That's not enough. Many are called. Many hear this message right now. Many are, oh yeah, I gave the call. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. Many know many names of preachers and many messages and many Bible verses. You're called, you're called, you're called. But are you chosen? The chosen ones are the ones who've chosen Christ. Jesus said, see this, all these people? Many are called. Well, actually the whole scene. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few humbled themselves to come here and accept the particular garment. Few are chosen. So let's do this the rest of our time. A takeaway, three takeaways I want to just mention. And then we've gone a little longer, but listen to this. When we walk away from this message, number one, make sure that you've accepted the garment. That is, personally put your faith in Jesus Christ with all humility as your Savior. That you're not enough that He is. That if you were to die in your natural state, with your natural spiritual, what do you think, Assets are, it's not enough. But Jesus is, and so make sure you've accepted him as your Savior, that you've put on that garment of salvation, personal faith in Christ. But as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God. Number two, the second of three takeaways is make, let's make our witness like God does to all people, to all sorts. Let's make our call to all sorts. It's okay if you have a couple Spanish tracks in your glove box. We're getting a few more Koreans around here. It's okay if we have a few Koreans. It's okay if you have some Arabic tracks. I don't know. I can't read that stuff. But make our call to all people. That's what the king did. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And then like the Lord, let's do it patiently. Call out, witness to people patiently, just like the Lord does. Witness to people patiently. Just like this king did, reached out, reached out, reached out. We're called to be like this king. We're called to accept what this king is offering. I was thinking of just a real, uh, just a, a little incident to close here. I've told you this before. There was a guy who used to come to, his kids used to come to our church. His name was Bill Coke. His grandkids used to come to our church. And... Uh, um, I would sometimes pick him up, or this other man in our church, Mr. Rogers, would sometimes pick him up. He had a truck with a camper shell on it, and he'd ride in the back. And this guy, Bill, over in Chandler, um, his, he actually lived with his daughter. 
I'm trying to remember his daughter's name right now, but her, she had three boys. Their names were A, B, I won't tell you their names, but it was A, B, C. It was the first letter of each of their names. It's funny. Three boys that came. Their granddad was Bill Koch. And um, I would sometimes witness to Mr. the grandpa when I'd go to the house there. And uh, Mr. Rogers, the other man who would pick up kids, would sometimes witness. He, went, he did it more, witness to Bill, Grandpa Bill. And um, he would do that. And, um, and he would just kind of, he was kind of a bigger guy. Kind of reminds me of Lotso on, you know, Toy Story. Kind of like, eh, like that, kind of a jolly kind of guy, you know, just a little bit, you know. But anyways, uh, see, this is my dad. Watch the Toy Story and stuff. But he, sometimes he'd just kind of like smirk, you know. We'd tell him about, you know, the need to be saved and accept Jesus as your Savior, and he'd just kind of, <coughs> like, there, there, kind of smirk at us, you know. And then, and then a few times he would bring the grandkids himself, and he'd sit in the back. We had the orientation of our church this way. I'd preach from that way, and we didn't have that section right there. He'd sit in the back and sit back there like this and just kind of, kind of smirk at me like this young preacher, you know. <laughs> you know, I don't know what he was entertained by, but kind of smirk at me, and then the kids would come to Sunday school and leave and everything. And, but he started getting sick, and we would witness to him, and he got to a nursing home, and Mr. Rogers, the other man who mostly picked up the kids most of the time, he would go and visit them in the nursing home and talk to them, Bill, you need to be saved. Well, Bill believed in evolution. That throws everything off, you know. Yeah. What do you mean? Things, you know, and he had a whole different view of God because of evolution. Throws everything off. And Mr. Rogers told him how, no, it's, look, if we're going to believe the Bible, God created this world abruptly, wasn't that long ago, made man on the sixth day, man fell, man needs a redeemer. That's what Jesus says, you need to put your faith in Jesus, and, oh, you know, but as he's getting sick, he started becoming more open to listening. And uh, he, I remember visiting him in the hospital in Chandler, and he was not doing good. And he was in pain, and he listened more then, and we kept reaching out to him, reaching out to him, and then... He was in the nursing home across the street from the place in Chandler, over there off Fry. Visited him there. Mr. Rogers visited him then. I think I did once. Mr. Rogers did and witnessed to him again. Then he came back the next time. Mr. Rogers came back like a day or two later. He said, hey, you know what you told me last time? Mr. Rogers says, yeah. He goes, I believe that. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I believe about God creating and things and, and about Jesus, and I accept that. Mr. Rogers was like, wow, that's wonderful, you know, and it was, his sta- it was his profession of faith in Christ, and then a week later, he's in a hospice, and I, the hospice was over off Dobson and Ray, I go visit him there, it was a house, and he's laying on, on this bed on his back with the, what do they call it, the death growl, is that what they that breathing, and I'm like, ooh, I never heard that before. I'm like, that sounds different. And I stood there, and he wasn't conscious of me, and I said, Lord, thank you for, for working on him and going after this guy through us. I'm glad he made profession of faith. And then the next day, he was gone. He was a latecomer to the wedding. And some were patient with him, and he accepted him. And now he's in this joyous place. Man, that's how God works. That's what you see in this story, and that's how he still works now. And let's thank him for it today.